organist. called me out on a mistake that we made. The first hymn, Grace Greater Than Our Sin, is not 67, not page 67, it's page 201. We just miscabubulated some numbers. <clears throat> so if you'll make that change that we will be singing number 201, page 201, but the title is the same, Grace Greater Than Our Sin. That will be the first hymn. That was a correction that we needed to make. Uh, just a little information. Uh, I was just talking to Ryan here. And by the way, I, when he gets up to speak, you'll notice that he has a wet spot on his knee. That's because I poured my water on his knee. He didn't do anything stupid. So <laughs> I, I thought I'd better clarify that. Have you all heard the information about the uh, Christian school in Hershey that is closing? Okay, uh, Lancaster Mennonite was running that school. They're closing the school. It's up on the, uh, the south side of Hershey, uh, up on what they call Hilltop, and it, they're closing. The, the people that have students in that school are looking for another place to recontinue the school. They're looking at church buildings. Our church came up as one of the places that they're investigating. They're going to come and meet with us on Tuesday. A couple of us are going to meet. I guess Pastor Ryan will be there. Uh, uh, hopefully I will be able to make it. Joel will be there. Uh, will you be there? No, okay. Uh, Bill, I think, is going to try and make it. Uh, they want to look at the facilities to see whether it would be suitable to uh, negotiate having actual school classes here. So I just wanted to let you all know that because it's no big secret and whether it will be work out for that, that group to use our facility for, to continue their school is, is hard to say. They have to look. We have to talk to them. Uh, they are looking at other church buildings. We're, we're not the only one that's in play. So, uh, and I think it's uh, kindergarten through six. Is that right? Kindergarten through six. So it isn't like, like we have uh, uh, senior high students or anything like that. So uh, we'll see what happens. It's like uh, Ryan said, could be great exposure for our church could get us on the map as far as people knowing we're here. Uh, and we have the facilities that are really not being used throughout the week. Uh, so might be a win-win. Well, we'll see. Uh, and we're going into this with an open mind, knowing that it might not happen, might happen, and uh, we don't know what will be the outcome. But we'll keep you posted. So. At least we're getting some people to know that we're here. <laughs> so we'll, we'll go with that anyhow. And I see there's a young man here that is better now. Did, did mom not do it right? <laughs> well, Luke, I know you're not paying attention, but welcome back. 
<laughs> you see in your bulletin, ladies and gentlemen, there is a handout or an insert, if you will, about Love Feast. Our Love Feast is coming up. There's also Holy Week services on this sheet that uh, you can in, in, uh, participate in at, at uh, Londonderry Village Chapel, which is the Brethren Home, what we, we knew as the Brethren Home, and Spring Creek is inviting us to attend if we wish. Our love feast will be on Thursday, the, Christine, help me out with the date, the 18th of April. So uh, it's the, when, uh, the Thursday night service, so you're all invited. And keep in mind, I'm not the one inviting you. The man that started it is inviting you. So take his invitation seriously. I don't think we have anything else to. Could I see the leaders team folks just for a minute after worship? Just for a minute. You want to say something? Okay. Let me get you. Go ahead. Okay. So this is the last day. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So get your orders in if you'd like to order some flowers. And uh, Nancy will take care of it. The order forms are in the back. Uh, and uh, let's make our, our sanctuary look really nice and pretty to worship our God. Isn't it, isn't it wonderful how things are all of a sudden changing outside, flowers, red-winged blackbirds are back. I even saw swallows this past week, which is, see, I see all this little, little itty-bitty stuff, and it, it thrills me, and some people just, you know, but to me, it's, it's God's work, and I love it. I love it. Well, okay, we, have, we do have an opening hymn. This is greater than our Grace greater than our sin, excuse me, grace greater than our sin, number 201. Will you stand with us and sing number 201? Well, let's turn our attention to our prayer ministry guide. Today, uh, we have another congregation we're praying for, and it's Chickies. And uh, we all know where Chickies is. Parker Ford is going to be praying for us in, in Pottstown, close to where Sandy lives. So... Uh, We'll pray for chickies at the, during our prayer time. And uh, Christine, do you have any updates that didn't get in the bulletin? Okay. Yeah, uh, Sylvia Kubel had a knee replacement on Monday. I didn't remember which day, and then I asked Davey this morning. Tuesday. Okay, got the date wrong. Okay, anyhow, she had a knee replacement. Of course, they're going to West Green Tree, but I just wanted to say that, that she had her knee replacement done. She had, it was replaced. Yes, she had it replaced, okay. as far as I know. Okay. Um, and I, on, the, uh, on the front I have, there's three different families there of grieving. And the first family, I, I know some of you are probably thinking, oh, who are all these people? 
uh, not that you need to know all, you know, as long as the Lord knows who we're praying for of these families, but the family and friends of Sandy McLarney is my sister-in-law, her only sister that had passed away with cancer. And I have put that on, and family and friends of Joan Bishop were a, the sister, I graduated with Joan's sister, Brenda, and Brenda and I get together every month, our class from 57 at E-Town. And we were all very close family of people, and this girl passed away. She was a, a great nurse. She was a nurse for many years at uh, Mount Calvary Church, that she was their nurse there, because they had a school there, too. Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. And, uh, but June, the service were on Friday that Paul and I went to and took some of my friends from my class. But it's just people we've been close. And, of course, uh, Lori Rank was a friend of person that Karen Bechtel knew that had asked that this girl passed away suddenly, too. But it, I had quite a few on, and I just thought I'd say. person's more, uh, name that comes to mind is Dominic. Uh, we had sponsored recent name yeah. Simon, but it's Dominic. And two years ago, he had moved uh, into an uh, apartment, and uh, he's a friend of a young lady named Bethany. And I talked to him. Well, actually, Love Inc. called me because they were helping him find an apartment. And I didn't know it. He has two little girls, oh <laughs> and Bethany. And so he's with... Uh, Housing provided by Love Inc. that'll end the end of this month, so that he needs an apartment that's two bedroom, in the length. So we could pray that uh, Love Inc. can find an apartment for them to move into, that they can become more independent. But with us, Aaron, another birthday, but. Mason just reminded me my niece is in the hospital. She's having a C-section this morning, so oh. he wanted to keep her in her prayers. Okay. So, all right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, John and I went to see the movie Unplanned this week. Yeah. Um, it, it really exposes the uh, purpose of Planned Parenthood. It's very well done. We heard both Abby Johnson, who was the the uh, woman who ran the clinic in Texas. She had run the clinic for eight years until she was called in. She was always on the business end, uh, and she was called into a procedure room. Now, I'm getting all choked up. I cried through the whole movie, but I'm known as the weeper, so that's okay. Um, she finally saw... <laughs> the ultrasound and saw the baby struggling against the suction and then being torn out. It's hard to see. It's a hard movie to see. But it really does uh, show you exactly what Planned Parenthood is all about. And I want to say, too, that the girl who was hired to play Abby in the, in the film didn't know that she was almost aborted. Oh, really? 
she had the job and she, she didn't want to tell her mother because her mother had had an abortion. And when she finally told her mother what, what role she was playing, the mother lost it and said, you were almost aborted. Oh my God. And so that was... Um, the other thing is that the, the doctor in the movie and another nurse in the movie were both <laughs> rescued from Planned Parenthood. They had, the doctor had, had uh, performed, I think, thousands, 22,000 or something abortions, and his life was changed. So it's a great movie. It is rated R, but I think it's mostly to keep people away because yeah. it, it really exposes Planned Parenthood. Just pray for David Abel as a star barn that he would be strong and of good courage. So I don't know if he, any of all of you are aware, but he's uh, standing for the word of God. There was uh, two gays that wanted to get married there, I guess, and he said no. So just pray that he stays strong, has great faith. That's okay. No Take this up, but uh, Lisa um, Hostler started Susquehanna Valley pregnancy. Yeah. Uh, Ron has had a brain tumor, uh, brain cancer. Just started his second round of chemo, so he needs our prayers. Um, Lisa has taken a leave of absence to to stay home with him. have something they'd like to share? Eleanor. Uh, an update on Helen. She called me Friday before she went to have this procedure done, and then she called me back Friday late afternoon, and she said it all went well, and I think they took like a quart and a half off, and it was like five months ago that she had this done. So, but she said, I really feel great. She's a strong bird, I'll tell you. Yeah. She continually gets fluid on her, on her lungs. Yeah. <clears throat> Anyone else? Did you have anything to say, Pastor? Okay. Let's uh, come before the Lord in our prayers. Heavenly Father, you've heard various things stated today. And oh, how many things aren't even verbalized. Thank you for hearing all of our concerns, all of our pleas. People who have lost young, loved ones, comfort them, Lord. People who have gone through surgeries, again, we pray and we thank you for skilled surgeons that you have equipped to do such procedures. And the things that this country struggles with, Lord, and we think, of course, with abortion, how, we wonder, can people do this? How can people cheer 
whenever it's announced that now we will be able to abort babies as they're born. Oh, the sadness of it. And only you can stop that. But we have faith, Lord. We have strength in you, and we pray that you will follow through with your plan, which we know you will. Thank you, Lord. And you tell us not to worry, to cast our worries upon you, but we are concerned. Help those people that are struggling against such vast odds. And we pray that you will give strength to Christian people who are standing fast on their belief in what your word says. Give individuals the strength to do so. The strength to fight against what is not biblically correct. Thank you, Lord, for their ability to stand up and voice their support of your word. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we pray for a Chickies congregation just over the hill from us, really. A large church, great leadership. But of course, they have challenges just as we have challenges. And just like every church has challenges, give them strength. Bless them. Keep them happy in your love. And thank you, Lord, for their leadership leadership that reaches beyond their borders. And thank you for them. Bless this congregation, Lord. Help us to grow. Help us to welcome new life into our congregation. Help us to be the joyous congregation and the love that we show. We'll show around the community. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for our leadership, too. Thank you for our pastors. Thank you for our deacons. Thank you for all the individuals that helped to spread your word. Give us the strength to do so, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And now we approach our, what we call our love feast time. I pray that more and more people will gather around your table and celebrate the love feast that you have initiated so many years ago and told us to continue to celebrate in your name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for all your blessings. Thank you for the grace that you show us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Our Savior, our King, the one that we hope and pray will lead us to better things, which we know he will. In Jesus' name, amen. very uh, defiant for Kayla in terms of his diaper. And so I went back there to help. Um, yeah, for some reason he listens to me more than he listens to her. <laughs> well... <laughs> Yeah, I'm not sure. 
That's okay. I told her, hey, you know, I, I, I think, uh, you know, that's my responsibility to be more of the, the firm hand, right? Yeah, yeah, she's more nurturing, yeah. So, anyway, hey, good morning. How is everybody? Yeah, yeah, good, good. I um, love the, uh, the decorations here up front. Yeah, I'm not sure whoever did that, but thank you very much. Goldie. And Elaine. And Christine, yeah, good job. Thank you. Yeah, that's a big service. Thank you very much. Yeah. So, um, so okay. Let, let's let's pray before we start here this morning. Lord, uh, we come before you this morning, um, humble hearts. Lord, we ask that you would give us humility. Uh, we are approaching your word. Oftentimes, Lord, we. We have a tendency to think that we know your word better than you know it. So, um, Lord, we, we confess that we do not, and we need your help to understand your word. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray that you will open our hearts, open our minds to what it is that you want to reveal to us this morning. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so we're, we're still talking um, about the conversation that Jesus was having with Nicodemus. John 3, beginning with verse 14, and we're looking at 14 through 21. And you'll recall that um, you know, Jesus told Nicodemus two weeks ago, we were talking about a person being born again from above. And um, Jesus said that unless a person is born again from above, they cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And so, in other words, without some divine intervention, we have no hope. And we have no hope because we stand condemned before God, which is what we're about to read in the coming verses. And so the condemnation of the world, it was a just consequence of our sin and the reality is that we have failed to live up to God's standards. But because we have a loving God, he thought it was good to provide a way for us to be liberated from that condemnation. This is how much God loved us. That he gave his only begotten son so that we could be liberated from being condemned and experience eternal life. And so the sermon title for today um, Love is a verb. And is anybody familiar with the band DC Talk? Anybody? Amy? Jay? You're kind of in our demographic. I'm hoping you know. <laughs> At DC Talk, a great band, um, formed in the, the early, late 80s, early 90s, up through the, you know, the end of the 90s. Um, uh, you know, a, a, a hip, you know, Christian band for young people. But anyway, they sang a song called Love is a Verb. And um, verses 14 through 16 are what we're going to focus on right now. And what I want you to know is this. God loves you, and love is a verb. And so Jesus is about to finish his conversation with Nicodemus and he told Nicodemus about his second birth and that everyone needs to be born again from above in order to enter the kingdom of God. And, you know, Nicodemus thought this was strange. And so Jesus finishes his conversation with Nicodemus by reminding him that while the Israelites were in the wilderness, they complained against God. And the Lord punished them by sending snakes into the camp. And, and this event is chronicled for us in Numbers 
21, and so Moses was then instructed by God to create a bronze serpent and to erect it on a pole in the middle of the camp so that anyone who had been bitten by one of these poisonous snakes could look at the bronze image and be healed. And the bronze serpent was the means by which God granted new physical life to the people of Israel. And so, you know, in a sense, Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, why is it so strange, Nicodemus, to think that God will now be granting new spiritual life? And in, in Numbers, this is kind of separate from today's sermon, but in Numbers, the beginning of the book of Numbers, there was a census that was taken. And it says that there were 600,000 men who were fit for war. So, you know, this, this age of, you know, 16 to, to maybe, you know, mid-late mid 30s, there were 600,000 men. And so some historians, actually most biblical historians, would say that there were probably 2 million people in the Israelite camp. And so, you know, this bronze image, this bronze serpent, you know, certainly was probably pretty big, right? I mean, we're not just talking about something that was very small. Scripture says that all they had to do was turn and look to it, and they would be healed. So two million people in a camp, this bronze serpent is in the middle. It, it was probably pretty big. And so as it happened, God was pointing to something greater in the desert, just as that bronze serpent was raised, so also Jesus was raised. And we ask the question, well, why was he raised? And well, the answer is right there for us in verse 15. And let's look at verse 15. In order that the one believing in him may be having eternal life. New spiritual birth and eternal life are given when a person turns and looks to the cross of Jesus. God graciously provided the means necessary for physical regeneration in the desert. And now through Jesus, he is going to provide the means necessary for spiritual regeneration. And so there the Israelites were in the desert, guilty of sin and thus dying for their sin. But God intervened on their behalf. And he provided a means of deliverance and he placed it in their midst so that the only thing the people in the desert had to do in order to receive new physical life was to cast their eyes upon the bronze serpent that was high and lifted up in the camp. And so in the same way, here we are in the desert of a sinful life guilty of sin and thus dying for our sin. But God has intervened on our behalf and he has provided a means of salvation so that the only thing a person must do in order to receive eternal life is cast their eyes upon Jesus Christ, the crucified one, the exalted one, the Lord of lords and the King of kings who is in our very midst so that we can turn and look upon him and receive his mercy and forgiveness. And just as physical life was given by God in the desert, in the same way eternal life is given by God through the Son, Jesus Christ. And so you, you may be asking the question, is it really that simple, Ryan? 
Is it really that simple? Are you telling me that all someone needs to do is turn to the cross of Christ and they are healed and given new life? And I think the answer is yes. It is. Any additional requirements that I may think are necessary for eternal life would mean that I am adding to the cross of Christ. And thus I'm saying that his sacrifice was not enough. And far be it from us, Lord, to ever say that your sacrifice was not enough. You know, I'm, I'm fascinated by language. Um, I, I enjoy reading books, you know, just kind of shifting gears here. I enjoy reading books about uh, the, the mechanics of language, you know, the philosophy of language. I enjoy diagramming sentences. You know, before every sermon that I'm writing, I, I take apart, you know, the, the Greek text and I break it down. You know, subjects, verbs, and prepositional phrases, and, and predicates. And that, that is really interesting to me. Um, <laughs> you're probably thinking, well, well, you're kind of weird. <laughs> it is, though. Um, but anyway, so one thing that philosophers have noted throughout history is that there are two forms of language, artificial language and natural language. And, you know, artificial language is just simply letters, you know, which represent sounds, right? A, B, C, D. And we take letters and we join them together and they form words. Dog, cat, tree. And so... Artificial language is spoken or written words that are used to transfer ideas from one mind to the next. And so if I say elephant, most of you think of an elephant, right? Yeah, that's artificial language. And so, you know, the, the old nursery rhyme that says, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may never hurt me. That, that is so untrue. Words are extremely powerful. Words are very powerful. So anyway, spoken or written words are the symbols of ideas that we have in our minds. That's artificial language. Natural language is the language of sighs and groans and gestures of the hands and tones of the voice and expressions of the face. Now, if you're anything like me, perhaps when you read Scripture, you have a, t a habit or a tendency of, of reading it in a dull way. In other words, we're so focused on the artificial language, you know, the words on a piece of paper, that we forget to listen for the natural language of Scripture. And so, for instance, when you read this passage of Scripture, you may read it this way. Just as Moses lifted high the serpent in the wilderness, in the same way it was necessary to lift high the Son of Mankind, so that all persons believing in him might be having eternal life. For this is how much God loved the world, that he gave the only begotten Son. When instead, I think what Scripture is actually saying is this. Just as Moses lifted high the serpent in the wilderness, in the same way it was necessary to lift high the Son of Mankind, so that all persons believing in him might be having eternal life. For this is how much God loved the world, that he gave the only begotten son, so that the person believing in him might not have died, 
rather so that the person believing in him would have eternal life. So next time you're reading, ask the Holy Spirit to help you listen for the natural language of Scripture. I I have to constantly remind myself there is emotion in Scripture. And I, I dislike myself when I read Scripture in a dull way because it is not dull. And so love is a verb. God the Father loved the world so much that He handed over God the Son. And God the Son loved the world so much that He laid down His life on our behalf. He handed over God the Son. He laid down His life. Verbs are action words. And one takeaway is that we worship a God who is actively involved in this world. And he is, listen for the action word, coming again to set all things right. And when I was much younger, I I did not think of love as an action. You know, rather I used to think of love as primarily an emotion. And sometimes television shows, books, make love out to be strictly an emotion. You know, but the word used in John 3.16, perhaps the greatest passage of love the world has ever known or about love the word love is a verb I think I hear my boy crying you know Paul you and Christine came over for dinner and we were talking about love right and you made a comment that real love is, I believe, 60-some years of commitment? Right, right. There's action there, right? It's not just an emotion that you two experience. There is real action between both of you, real love. Yeah. So how can we live in this coming week in response to the idea that love is a verb? Well, we can love God by sharing His gospel. We can love our spouses, our children, our parents by serving them. And the the emphasis I'm making here is that there is action in love. And so let's go down to verses 17 and 18. And what I want to say to you this morning through in or excuse me when looking at verses 17 and 18 is that God loves you and love is a verb God loves us so much that he sent his son to save the word the world excuse me here in verses 17 and 18 John clarifies the purpose of Jesus's mission in the the pantheon of false gods you know the, the multitude of false gods that existed in the ancient world Uh, Gods were often thought of as uh, raging against mankind and the world. And and so these gods had to be appeased because ultimately they would destroy the earth and mankind at some point. I mean, this is what the majority of mainstream people in the ancient world were thinking about gods. And see, John tells us something completely different. He says he didn't come into the world to condemn the world. Why? Why? Why did he not come into the world to condemn the world? Because the world already stands condemned before God. 
If you recall chapter 1, verse 9, John says the world did not know him. And that word know there also kind of means choose. The world did not know. It did not choose God. The world stands condemned because of its rebellion against God. Therefore, Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. No, he came to save the world because of God's great love for the world. And for some odd reason, I am um, intrigued by documentary shows about prisons. You know, there's something about prison and the lifestyle of inmates that is intriguing to me, not in the sense that I want to be an inmate, no, um, but, you know, the, the culture and the mindset of, of prisoners, it's fascinating to me. And, you know, everyone who is in prison has already been condemned. You know, they've been convicted of a crime. They are serving the penalty. And I want you to imagine if someone walked into a prison and said, open the doors, for I am declaring that all these persons who have been condemned should now be set free. And in order to experience the freedom that I am declaring, the only thing these prisoners must do is look outside of their cells and cast their eyes upon me and say thank you. And one thing I've learned from prison documentaries is that the prisoners are usually segregated based upon the severity of their crimes. Persons who have committed less serious crimes are usually housed together, and persons who have committed more serious crimes are usually housed together. And so we might be tempted to think, well, you know, that person who comes in and declares freedom to all of the prisoners, you know, that's not so unbelievable, especially if the ones receiving the declaration of freedom are the criminals who committed the less serious crimes. But that's not what God's Word says. Scripture says the Son came into the world in order that the world might be saved through him. God loved the world. And I'm asking you to contemplate the magnitude of this revelation. Firstly, when John uses the term world, he uses it typically in a very degrading sense. Being associated with the world is not a good thing, John tells us in 1 John. Secondly, there's no distinction when he uses the term world. There's only mankind. And contrary to what our culture says, there is only one race, and it is the human race. And the truth of verses 17 through 18 stand out all the more in light of the reality that God's love is upon all persons and His salvation is made available to any person who would turn and cast their eyes upon Jesus Christ. And this means that the most heinous criminal offenders of that prison are persons that Jesus died for. Verse 18 does make it explicitly clear that the only way of salvation, the only way a person is saved, is through Jesus Christ. And we use the word saved because it is appropriate given the fact that we have already been condemned. Now, a person floating in the ocean needs to be saved because their situation is hopeless, right? 
Jesus came to save the world because our situation was hopeless. Now, sadly, from verse 18, it, it also is the case that not all persons will accept this rescue mission, this way of salvation. You notice in verse 18, John begins to use different language. Um, instead of continuing to use the world, he now differentiates between the one who is believing and the one who is not believing. And you know, the work of salvation is God's, and thus it's not our responsibility to save another person. But it is our responsibility to tell other persons, to tell the world what God has done for all of us. And so how should we live knowing that Jesus came into the world to save the world, and yet there are some who do not believe? Well, we can continue to love and to share the gospel with them. We can pray for them. You know, as Christians, we should be in prayer for people daily who have not heard the gospel or who have yet to accept the free gift of salvation. And as a congregation, you know, we should be corporately praying that God will bring persons into our congregation to hear his gospel message. You know, there are 7 billion people on this earth and 2 billion have never heard the gospel. So you know, if you're walking down the street, you count seven people and you think, well, two of them have never heard the gospel. And of the five million who have heard the gospel, it's estimated that the overwhelming majority of persons who have heard the gospel have only heard portions of the gospel. They actually haven't heard the entire gospel. And so if anyone, you know, if you're feeling intimidated about sharing the gospel, um, you know, I'd say that's, that's normal. <laughs> right? Um, yeah, I'd be happy to share with you some of the techniques that, that I have learned um, over the years, and, and perhaps some of you have, have learned some really great ways to share the gospel that I'd be happy to hear about and to learn from you as well. And so let's move to verses 19 and 21. And what I want you to know from verses 19 and 21 primarily is this, God loves you and love is a verb. In verse 19, John explains the verdict and the reason why the world stands condemned. Because sin entered the creation through Adam, a guilty verdict has been rendered. And because we are descended from Adam, we enter this world under that guilty verdict before a holy and righteous God. And therefore, we need to be saved from our sins. The light has come into the world to save us from our sins, but sadly, we loved the darkness more than the light. And so the incredible truth here is that God has loved us even when we did not love him. And there is a spiritual reality that's revealed here in verses 19 through 21. The good news of Jesus Christ is glorious, and yet at the same time it pierces our hearts. Before I experienced a second birth from above, I was loving the darkness because it was my nature. I was afraid of the light because I knew that my works were going to be exposed and I was ashamed of them. It's only by the grace and mercy given through Jesus that I was brought into the light. And so a few years ago, I bought a really nice flashlight. 
So he likes books about language, prison documentaries, and flashlights. <laughs> anyway, I bought a really nice flashlight, Surefire brand. My brother recommended it to me, and if you know anything about flashlights, you know that the amount of lumens determines the brightness, and so this flashlight that I bought has 1,000 lumens, and it has special high-output batteries that you can't buy at the regular store. You know, you have to go to a special store, and so, yeah, it's very bright. I mean, it is dangerously bright, to be exact. And I've come to learn that police officers use Surefire brand flashlights because of their brightness. And so that when they shine the, their lights into the eyes of someone, the person, I mean, you have to turn away because they're so bright. And so at nighttime, I can shine my flashlight in any room of our house, and that entire room is visible. And in the same way, when the light of Christ shines upon us, everything is visible. And it is a scary sight. Because we see how sinful we really are. Persons who have not been born from above do not like the light. And have you ever heard someone say they do not like coming into a church because they don't like the way that they feel? And so, you know, we respond to that and say, oh, well, you know, let's make this place as nice as possible. And we don't want anyone to feel uncomfortable. You know, in my opinion... Those persons who feel uncomfortable are feeling that way for a very specific reason. And that reason is the light of Christ is shining into their life. And praise God for that. Now, I'm not saying that I want every person who walks in here to, to feel unwelcome. No, certainly not. But when someone comes in here and, and they are not born from above, it's only natural that they're going to feel a little bit of tension. I don't know if any of you can relate to that. I certainly can when I was younger. Conversely, the, the person who is doing the truth comes into the light. And that person has no reason to not come into the light because what they are doing is being done through the Lord. And doing the truth simply means doing our best to live according to God's word, according to his standard. Repenting and asking for forgiveness when we fail. And just like when I'm driving down the road and following the speed limit. You know, I have no reason to look around and be fearful. Right? I know that I'm doing what is right. But when I'm not obeying the speed limit, I'm fearful of being exposed and punished. Right? Is there a police officer behind that building? I sure hope not. What should we do now that we are living in the light? Well, share it. Share the light. We can share the light of Christ by doing the truth and speaking the truth to others. And by doing the truth and speaking the truth, we are loving our fellow brothers and sisters like Christ. Brothers and sisters, love is a verb. God acted on our behalf. Jesus laid down his life on our behalf. These actions of God have come down through history. We can document his actions through history. It's, you know, it's interesting. I was listening to a, um, a radio show a few months back, and they had a, a, a Christian historian and a secular historian, and one of the callers called in and said, 
you know, I, I really like to know about this Jesus character. I mean, is, is he real? You know, what, what do the historical documents say? And so the Christian historian just passed the, the question off to the secular historian because the Christian historian already knew the answer. And the secular historian, mind you, this is, this is a non-believer, said there is not a more certain event in all of human history than the crucifixion of Christ. No respectable historian would ever deny that Jesus Christ walked this earth because the evidence is overwhelming. And this is coming from someone who didn't even believe or, or call him Lord. So we can document the actions of our Lord through history. He is a loving God. We serve a loving God who is actively involved in this world. And again, he is coming again. Amen. I think we have a him to turn to. Number 66.